0: It's such a blessing to live in this amazing country, isn't it? We have uh, this incredible document uh, called the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among us are these. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All people created equal. It's a wonderful philosophy since we have created this nation together. We're all Americans, and I know from our history, it's been tough to live out that philosophy, hasn't it? It's tough. In fact, when this document was written, we were literally uh, enslaving people from Africa when it was wrote. And so we've struggled with this sin of racism uh, ever since. we made a lot of progress, but we still have a long Long way to go. We're in a series titled, When People Collide, Resolving uh, Conflict God's Way. Over the past few weeks, we saw uh, how conflicts are unavoidable, but they can be very beneficial if managed by biblical principles and practices. Today, I want to talk to you about the sin of racism. Before I preach, I just want to share... My heart with you in these moments. First, I have a lot of anxiety, a lot of angst about this. It's pretty evident uh, that you can tell. Um, I don't. don't, You probably can't see it too, but I'm probably one of the whitest dudes in this room right now. And in fact, my uh, my high school nickname was Whitey. I don't know why, but it was Whitey. So then my high school friends still call me the old Whitey. Next. I just want to. I think I'm anxious because I, I don't want you to hear that word racism and then just tune out because of all of what our country has gone through um, for months and months and actually for a long time. Um, it's just, it seems like the racial tension in our country just isn't letting up. And we're so divided as a nation. And you heard the banter, and there's all the politics. Can I say that word? politics. Frankly, when it comes to this issue, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I I really want to stay at my post to protect the purity of the gospel. I want to put aside all the politics. And really, this morning, I want to walk with you in trust. Why? Because, folks, we're a people of hope. We are. We're a people who have the promise of the Holy Spirit and together, we have hope in the Word of God, which has the power to transform hearts, beginning with mine. And so I'm praying. No, I'm not going to tell you what I'm praying. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. So let's, it's going to be up on the screen here. Let's pray this prayer together. God, soften my heart that I might truly see people as you see them and love them as you love them. Confront anything in my heart that falls short of your perfect love for all people. Holy Spirit, convict me of my sin and fill me with your love and power. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're gonna look at a story in the Bible that would have been very, very offensive to the original listeners. But it's probably one of the most powerful stories that Jesus ever told. In the story, Jesus challenges us to empathize Empathize with a guy who is really hurting, hurting bad, and consider what it means to help those who are hurting or challenged. I want to share with you uh, in this message some video of of our senior pastor, John, uh, that he did with several people in our congregation, uh, Jackie and Ryan Spence, who help out in our worship arts here at Anderson Hills, and then also... Uh, pastor George and Vicky Hart uh, George is a retired uh, pastor, and they together as a as a clergy couple m- managed to merge a black church with a white church and that was very difficult, but they did it with god 's help and so I, I just th- feel like personally and i 've been thinking a lot as i as I wrote this message that I spent ninety nine point nine nine percent of my life as a member of a dominant culture, a white guy who lives mostly in a white world. And it's not evil, but it means that I, I, I should listen, keep my ears up, my radar on, and listen to stories of people who have a different experience uh, so that I can be more compassionate and enter into their experience. So let's listen to uh, Jackie and Ryan's story because they have some amazing experiences that a guy uh, like me does not have. Let's take a look at this video together.
1: So one of my favorite things about being a new pastor is that I get to hear folks' stories about what brought them to our church and what that experience was like. And I'm wondering, what was it like for you as a biracial couple to come to Anderson Hills, which is a predominantly white church? What
2: was it like to, to experience that? for us it was really um really interesting uh, all the transitions we've seen because we've been in a predominantly black church we've been in mixed churches and it was really surprising when the lord called us here because mm-hmm. um, it was not only a predominantly white church but also it was uh quite a drive for us mm-hmm. and um, we really felt the lord calling us here and um, me i grew up in a white church And then I ended up going to an only black church that her dad was a pastor of. And then we've just kind of gone through from there Mm -hmm. to where we are now.
3: Yeah. Wow. Jackie, how about for you? Um, It has been quite a journey. As Ryan said, you know, I grew up in a predominantly black church. Mm -hmm. And that's all I knew. And Mm -hmm. so it was really... The struggles I had coming here were really unexpected for me. It was really surprising because I've been in predominantly white situations my entire life. Mm. My family was one of the first black families in Fairfield, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all my entire school career has been predominantly mm. white. Uh, but when I came to Anderson Hills, um, the anxiety that I experienced was extreme. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, it took me a while to understand what was happening. And like I said, it's been a journey with the Lord. But the Lord revealed to me what it was is, even though I had been in predominantly white situations my entire life, that was never the church. Um, In my dad's church, I was always, it was always my comfort zone. I could be myself. Mm -hmm. But then coming to Anderson Hills, it was like suddenly all my experience before that seemed not good enough. Like, in, in a lot of my prayers, it was me nearly yelling at the Lord, like, you've made a mistake. You've yeah. got to fix me. You've got to change me because I'm not good enough to be mm-hmm. here. And him constantly trying to convince me, like, you're exactly what you need to be, mm-hmm. where you are. You yeah. trust me. And I'm like, no, you need to change me. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do mm-hmm. it. Can you help me understand what,
1: like, the the cause of that anxiety of just that, that,
3: way I've always done is it, not right or not good enough. What, what would lead to that? We're used to assimilating mm. to what the dominant culture is. Okay. And so even in the Christian world, the dominant culture of what is Christian, like Hillsong, Bethel, mm. you usually see white people, yeah. a white woman with a particular type of voice. And then me, mm. I have this rich gospel voice. Mm. And I, I never felt very challenged about that, because like I said, I grew up in a black church, but yeah. suddenly being in a predominantly white church, I feel like, just like in every area, every other area of my life, I have to assimilate and become what people are used to. Mm.
1: It amazes me to hear you say it, because so I can remember before being appointed here, just watching our services online, I remember one of my first ones was I saw you, and I remember saying. Oh, thank God! Like, <laughs> like I am so thankful for your gifts and for who you are, and like I mean, I didn't even know you at the time, but like just, I just thought your voice and your presence is so powerful. Like spoke to me, and like it just, it means a lot to me personally that you would
3: push through all that. I have never not felt welcomed here, never. Hmm. Nobody has ever treated me badly. Hmm. Um, as I said, it's just the way the culture is. But if someone is feeling if you're asking you know what do i do it's really just about just understanding that for me and other black people like me a lot of other black people it's a struggle Mm -hmm. being a black minority and even if nobody asked us we feel like we have to become to be accepted Mm -hmm. that's really and it's just understanding that and then um when people are asking like what can I do i, I it's a journey for each person, like yeah. as the Lord leads you, what is your part in unity racial unity what is what is my everybody has a different calling in that don't do it out of guilt, please don't hmm. don't do it out of obligation just just go to go with the, the Lord your relationship with the Lord like hmm. Lord. I'm becoming aware of this. What's my next step? Hmm. And let him lead you in that.
2: I was a minority in Mm -hmm. the black church for for several years. And it it was an incredible experience to step out of a white culture and experience a black culture. Mm -hmm. I wish I could have everybody go do that, but that's not realistic. but just that be, that willingness to learn about another culture was a, an incredible experience for me, mm-hmm. and I, I hope that maybe that's something that somebody else can do. You know, if when you see somebody or you have that opportunity, take it. Mm.
4: Yeah.
2: You know, when you have that opportunity, take take it and yeah. um, uh, get to know um, people that have a different experience. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's so powerful, uh, uh, both Jackie and Ryan uh, treated reasonably well by their churches, but there were, you know, just some challenges, I think, inside. You know, I think on a human journey, I believe it's, it's a good thing to enter the experience of another uh, as best as you can. Um, I believe Jesus challenges us to do that, uh, to come alongside people Who are hurting or challenged, to love them, uh, to be their neighbor, and to have uh, compassion on them. Um, That's the heart of the Jesus message. It's love everyone even when no one is watching. And Jesus told a story uh, in response uh, to uh, a religious law expert who tried to undermine him, who tried to discredit him. Let's look at the Word of God from Luke 10, 25 through 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord Your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. You see, this man was looking for an updated set of rules from Jesus. Jesus demonstrated that the kingdom isn't living up simply to some do's and don'ts. It's loving God and loving others. You know all about this if you've been tuning into Anderson Hills. I started coming here when I was 18 years old, and I've heard a singular message from Anderson Hills. The message has always been love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's been constant. So Jesus turns this lawyer's question back on him and lawyers don't dig that, especially an expert attorney. So he does what lawyers do best. He looks for a loophole. In Luke 10, 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It says he wanted to justify himself. We do that, don't we, when it comes to marking our lives up against the standard of the law. For example, the law or the commandment says, do not lie. But we think, oh, in this case, in this circumstance, I can tell a little lie. We do that. This lawyer's doing the same thing. Who is my neighbor? (laughs) Exactly who do I have to love? Jesus. Or better yet, who don't I have to love? So Jesus tells him a story to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. He tells the story of the good Samaritan. It's kind of a misnomer because the story is told from a perspective of a guy who got beat up. Not the point of view of a good Samaritan. So we talk as we talk about this, I want you to enter the experience of the guy who was beaten to an inch of his life. So try to do that. In verse 30, it says, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of all his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This is a bad day for this guy. (laughs) He is going through the mountains, and he is descending 3,000 feet, trying to get... To Jericho, and there's no 911, there's no cell phone calls, there's there's just this guy hadn't taken his concealed carry class. He is mugged, he is stripped of all his clothing, he is bruised, battered, and left to die on the side of the road. It's a very horrible day. But thank God, there's a hero that steps onto the scene. Verse 31: a priest. Happened to be going down the same road. We're like, yes, woohoo! Here comes a pastor. Here comes a preach preacher. This dude will save his man's life. And of course, pastors are superheroes, right? No, no, no. no. What happens? He says, when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. On the other side. Wait, what? This priest probably looked over his shoulder and realized he was alone. And he distanced himself from this beaten man. We don't know what the priest was thinking. Jesus doesn't give us any insight into the man's thinking. Maybe he didn't want to become unclean by touching a potential corpse. Or maybe he didn't want to fall under attack himself. Maybe he didn't want to be late for his appointment in Jericho. Regardless, he totally avoids the man. And then Jesus continues his story. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Folks, Levites are church workers too. They're like associate pastors. They have duties. They're professional church workers. And this guy avoids this beaten man like the plague. So now we're oh for two on pastors coming to help people. Seriously, if you're the guy who is badly beaten, you probably accepted the fact that you're probably going to die that day. Religious workers, two religious workers have avoided me. Is there hope? But no, Jesus continues the story. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. Let's try a little fill-in-the-blank here. I've already said it, but this is the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Yeah, that wasn't a tough one. We've got Good Samaritan clubs. we got Good Samaritan, I was born in Good Samaritan Hospital, day after Christmas, 1970, on the west side. Yes, I'm a west sider. Good Samaritan Hospital. Uh, it, it is, it's its if you were a Jew in Jesus' day, there was only one correct answer, though. And here's the church-approved version. This is the story of this Samaritan. And fill in the hate word. Jews hated Samaritans. Those who listened to Jesus' story, all they saw in their mind's eye was Samaritan trash or Samaritan heretics or Samaritan inbreds. Literally. I don't have time to go through the whole history of Samaritan and Jew relationships, but probably at that time it was an all time high of just horrible hate for one another. In fact the Jews had a saying in Jesus' day that went like this it's better to eat pig skin than Samaritan bread. Wow. Jews never ate pork, right? Nothing nastier than pig skin rolled in slop and dung. And a Jew would rather eat that than dine or have bread made by a Samaritan. This is racism at its worst. And it was accepted in that day. It's not an exaggeration to say that the Jew-Samaritan relationship were the worst of any racial divisions that we have today in America. So you need to understand that this parable, this story that Jesus told, was very, very offensive to the listeners. That's how I would have responded if I would have been listening in on Jesus' day. Remember a pastor, an associate pastor, they've already bailed on this guy and he's still lying there hopeless. Let's look at verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. The listeners were probably thinking that this guy left for dead is really screwed now that he has had it. These two clergymen have ignored him, and now the Samaritan is probably going to do something worse. And that's what the listeners are waiting for. Okay, let's see what the Samaritan does. But Jesus continues. Look at what the Samaritan does. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day... He took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I will return what I, I, when I, when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have. You're sitting there thinking, wait, Jesus, are you kidding me? The story is trash because Samaritans are Trash. They broke God's laws. They killed our ancestors. Jesus, do you actually expect me to believe that a scummy Samaritan would do this? A Samaritan would have wouldn't have compassion or pity. A Samaritan wouldn't do heartfelt medical care. A Samaritan wouldn't risk getting beat up by robbers himself and then take this wounded guy, put him on his donkey and take him to a hotel? and then stay with him and care for him through the night, and then give money for his futural, future medical costs while he's away. No, there's no way. Jesus, are you kidding me? Samaritans don't do that. I know who they are. I mean, I don't really know any of them. But everybody just knows how they are. You can't trust them. You picked the wrong hero. Jesus. And that would be some of your thoughts listening. But Jesus made no mistake telling his story. He asks this expert of the law, look at this, folks. Look at what Jesus works out here. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of a robber? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, you go and do likewise. You can feel the tension around Jesus' question. The lawyer knew the answer, but he couldn't even get himself to say or even mutter the word Samaritan. He says the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus twists the knife in a little further. You go, and you do likewise. Go. Be like that guy you hate, because he's the one who gets it. You don't get it. You're constantly trying to justify yourself folks jesus shows us and you might have heard this term before but the ground is level at the foot of the cross all people are created equal endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights regardless of race or gender or social status or anything did you notice that Jesus doesn't identify the man who was beaten. Why? Because Jesus wants the listeners uh, to understand the man who was beating senseless could be anyone, anyone. But the listeners probably understood that the Samaritan was helping a Jew. The important thing is, Jesus invites us to look at our own actions, or lack thereof, through the lenses of the Samaritan. He was minding his own business one day, and he came upon another human being, beaten, bloody, laying by the side of the road. He knew that that man was probably Jewish, but he overcame the stereotypes, the negative history, the hatred between families. He saw a man who was hurting, and he took actions that were very dangerous, costly, and very unpopular. Do you have the courage to go and do likewise? Specifically when it comes to racism. Do you have the courage? Do I have the courage? Don't buy into the lie that you hear that you have to choose sides. The world wants us to choose sides. Nonsense. Jesus calls us to love everyone. And this teaching just shouts and proclaims love everyone. Let's take a look at this video of Pastor George uh, right now.
1: You know, George, it's always easy to see, for me, to see videos or hear stories of things in other communities and say, thank God that's not what the world I live in is like. But um, you've lived here for a while in this community. Have you uh, seen examples of racism just right here in Anderson Township?
5: Yes Um, and I can give you a a specific example. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a few years back I was in the market for a pickup and I saw one on a used car lot that was um, less than a mile from here and I'll say that it's not there any longer but um, that's where it was and so I stopped in one day and I took a look at the vehicle and I asked them how much it was and, so, and I don't remember the exact numbers right. but they gave me a price and um, I thought well I'll think about it, I'll consider it. and So every day I rode by and I thought okay it's still there, it's still there, <laughs> you know and I'm wondering whether I should go after it or not and then um, one day it was gone. So I pulled in and I went in the office and I said, um, Hey, the pickup truck, is it, have you sold it? And the guy said, yeah, actually we just sold it. And there's the young man that we sold it to. And I turned around and it happened to be a young man that I knew because his parents attended our church. And so, uh, I said, hey, let me see your pickup, you know. Mm -hmm. So I walked outside with him, and I was just curious how much he paid for it. Mm -hmm. So I asked him how much he paid for it, and what he paid was at least 25% more. It was several thousand dollars more that he paid for it than they even asked me for. Plus, he had a trade-in, and I didn't have a trade-in. And I was just kind of blown away. So uh, I didn't want to tell him that but um, I went home Mm -hmm. and I went home and I started thinking about it and the more I started thinking about it, the angrier I got. And so I thought, I'm going back up there. So I went back to the dealership and I walked and said I wanted to see the sales manager. So he invited me into his office and I said, so I just got a question for you. The young man that bought the pickup truck that I was looking at, I want to know, I'm just asking you, why did you charge him 25% more than you were asking me for to begin with, plus he had a trade in, And he didn't really have an answer. And so I said, um, was it because he was black? And you thought you could get away with it, mm-hmm. and he was furious. Mm-hmm. And he said, "How dare you call me a racist?" And I said, "I didn't call you a racist. I just want to know why you charged him more." Yeah, for the vehicle. And uh, there was his assistant manager was outside, and he came in my office, okay. or in the uh, sales manager's mm-hmm. office, and he. Um, He And they were both furious, and they were yelling at me and screaming at me. And the sales manager was leaning over his desk, kind of threatening me. And they said, do you want us to call the police? (laughs) And at that point, I thought, yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I I would like for you to call the police. But I thought, you know, if I was black, Mm. I'd probably said, no, Mm. I'm getting out of here. But anyway, um, I made an issue out of it, and um, I just contested the whole thing, you know? And so I felt like I should do something about it. But I thought on the way back up, I thought I cannot go in there angry. Hmm. I've got to go in there and be logical, present the truth, and uh, try to present it as loving as I can. But I think, as Jackie said, sometimes it doesn't go the way you expect it's gonna go. Yeah. But it did have an impact. Yeah, it did.
0: Yeah. It did. You know, uh Joe uh he helps out with our fresh expression, or George helps out with our fresh expressions. And um uh, i t th- I've heard him tell this story before and uh I remember him saying that he felt led to go back to that uh car dealership. And uh I just see that George didn't pass on the other side of the road. You know, this, this, this really isn't about car salesmen or a police officer or, or any other distant person. It's really about checking ourselves, checking our hearts, checking our, our, our strict sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leading. Sometimes I do. I do shake my head when I hear society uh, say that all these people are bad or you have to choose Sides. I can't stand it. You know, are there some bad police officers? Yes. Are there some bad pastors? Yes. But you know what? I know a lot of police officers and I I love them dearly. And they went into their profession because they love justice and they're willing to risk their lives for justice and to protect people's lives. Please don't buy into the lie that you are on the side of police or the side of a hurting black brother or sister. You can call out evil in policing and love the good police officers and acknowledge the great hurt and harm that's been done by our black brothers and sisters. That's true in every area where racism has been present real estate or banking or education or business. If God has given you influence, step up and use that influence. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a backbone of steel to empower you to love as Jesus loved. I want to give you three ways that you can go and do likewise to be like the good Samaritan that Jesus utilizes. First, Acknowledge that racism is real. If you're like me, you need to understand that you probably don't get it. And I'll tell you, I I don't get it. And that's why I want to try to lean in and listen to another person's experience like Jackie. And I don't deny. I'm not going to deny that there's racism. There isn't racism. Secondly is pray. Prayer isn't a small thing my friend. We desperately need to beg the God of justice to love and to heal our land and to pray for our lives and our response, you know, and giving comfort to our hurting brothers and sisters who are of various diverse backgrounds. And Number three is find your voice. We're going to listen to Vicki for just a couple minutes on how she found her voice.
1: After George Floyd's murder, you you started meeting with a group, right? Tell me more. Why did you why did you do that? What was it like?
4: I did. I um I was totally undone when mm-hmm. I when I saw this. It was a series of incidences that came up at this time, and then that culminated in George Floyd's death. So I didn't know where to turn. I needed to talk. I needed to process. So I called a black friend of mine who was very much in the same state, maybe even mm. more so. So we worked on a group together. Mm. We, I started calling people, a diverse group, people mm-hmm. that didn't look exactly like I do, yeah. and we got together to process. This was right after, and it, I think my black friends were amazed at the reaction that they were, an, this eruption of emotions in, their, in themselves. Mm. They had stuffed for so long so many things that it erupted. And I um, was a little shocked myself because of my, my emotions and I had to be careful that I didn't feel responsible as a white person because there was a lot of anger toward the white community. So we processed, and we, this was right after his death, we began to meet and we met on a, week, a monthly basis mm-hmm. to just process, to get together, to have some hard conversations, to share yeah. our feelings. We continued to meet for, a. we just celebrated with a barbecue, um, a year of our meeting together. Wow! And um, we're continuing to meet. We met through Zoom for a while when mm-hmm. COVID peaked, yeah. but it has been very helpful And I was really at a loss to know what to do as a white person uh, about this issue. So I asked my friend, Karen Mm -hmm. Woods, she runs a ministry of Heart of the Matter Ministries, and she said, Vicki, you need to find your voice. Mm. So I took that to heart, and I'm trying to find my voice in what to do next. And so that leads me to this group discussion that yeah. we're planning to have following um, this, this discussion. Yeah. And it's called Finding Your Voice. So we're going to gather is, in groups and have some discussions and, and yeah. try to, to have some positive outcome from this. Yeah,
1: I love that. So we'll meet for a few weeks and you will know, be here and we'll have some conversation together. I think that could be a great next step. Um, for many of us that maybe we're saying, oh, what do I do? You know, what's what's next or how can I grow?
0: So we're going to start here at Anderson campus uh, on Sunday, um, for Sundays in July, uh, beginning uh, next Sunday. um, uh, I believe that's July 11th um, in room 120 for discussion about how to find your voice. And Uh, God's given all of us voices uh, to use for his glory, given us voices so people can see uh, who Christ is, the character of Jesus Christ. We have to use our voice to lovingly show others Jesus' kingdom coming on earth and through us and in us. You see, Jesus left the comfort of heaven to give his life for you and me, and perhaps he's challenging us to leave our comfort zones and to love others through words and actions.